scary. And then huh. he talks about goodness and severity. Mm. And I, when I'll admit, when I first read the title, I was like, interesting. Yeah. And then we get to the first named section, and I go, sweet. <laughs> Let's do this. Yeah. I want to talk about Santa Claus. <laughs> For the first large section of the chapter is called Santa Claus and Giant Despair. Despair. What does that reference? What does Giant Despair? I don't know. Okay. Um, double Doubting Castle, Giant Despair, Bypath Meadows. These are all mentioned in this chapter. Yeah. Those are all from the book Pilgrim's Progress. Oh. I, I mean, I don't even, probably never even. I doubt never, you've read it. It's very old English. Yeah, definitely haven't read it. Very old English. I've um, never heard about it until this book. <laughs> you hadn't? I don't know. Maybe heard, I have, but I, I mean, I know I've heard of it, even though I haven't read of it. The, yeah. But yeah, because I read that, I was like, Bypath Meadows. I was like, what the heck is that? And then Doubting Castle, Giant Despair. I was like, what? <laughs> oh, this is all Pilgrim's Progress. Got it. Pilgrim's Progress. Yeah. I got nothing. Okay. <laughs> so I don't have anything highlighted until we get into Santa Claus and Giant Despair. Say so the only thing I had highlighted before that was both must be acknowledged together of God is to be truly known, being his goodness and severity. That's all I had. Fair enough. And this was my favorite sentence of this chapter. Ready? Yes. People say they believe in God, but they have no idea who it is that they believe in or what difference believing in him may make. Hmm. Because that is so true about current society, especially. You have a lot of people going, yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, I believe in God. I, I see this even with my own family. You know, and then you really get down to it. And it's like, you really don't know who you believe in, do you? Mm-hmm. And I love... Yeah, who or what? Yeah. And I love how he goes, um, the next sentence he goes... He goes, Christians who want to help their floundering fellows into what a famous old track used to call safety, certainty, and enjoyment are constantly bewildered as to where to begin. The fantastic hodgepodge of fancies about God quite takes their breath away. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. Let me ask you this. Uh, this is a word I missed before, but I should ask this. What does a muddle mean? Where's it's like the next sentence? Oh, modern muddle into such a muddle, muddle headed wait, into such a muddle. Yeah, into such a how on earth oh. have people gotten into such a muddle? What is muddle? Uh, a mess? <laughs> I don't know. See, muddle, mud, mud. The only reason I know this definition, Mm -hmm. when I was a youngster, so back in my day, Mm -hmm. back in the old days, CRTVs, CRT TVs, uh, Sega Genesis, that was the new thing. There's this game. Yeah, exactly. Way back when. There's this game called Shining Force. 
Shining Force 1 and 2. Nope. It was a tactical turn-based RPG. One of the spells your characters could learn was Muddle. What did Muddle do? Make you like confused or? Exactly. Huh. So to Muddle is bring into disordered or confused state. Mm. So that's the only reason I knew what Muddled that's awesome. and Muddle was because it was a spell from the game and yeah. Well, as I say, because even reading that and then what his next question goes, what lies at the root of their confusion? I was like, well, okay, it's something that they just have to not be an understanding of or something. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. See, look at this. Aaron's learning new words. Yeah. It's good to read. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, the next thing I wrote, I highlighted, not wrote, was this. Modern people think that all religions as equal and equivalent. Uh, Even back in the day when, because this book was written before I was born. So. Right. It's old. It's ancient. I'm beating you too using those adjectives. <laughs> Just FYI. <laughs> where that's, I'm trying to see where. Oh, okay. No, I see that. Yeah. Because I even, I also had something just a bit above it. Was one is that people have gotten into the practice of following private religious hunches rather than learning of God and from his own word. Mm hmm. So, I mean, that would go right into, I mean, even what we were talking about earlier for these churches that are affirming and all that sort of stuff. It's they just get sucked into some religious, I don't know, I guess, yeah, some religious, I don't know. Could you say cult? I don't know. I don't know about, I don't know cult would be no, the right word, be, but. Yeah. Um, there's a few. That'd things. be, yeah. Some of that stuff, I'm sure gets culty. For some people. Oh, I'm sure. Things. Um, but yeah, I mean, you just get sucked into just religious practices and think, oh, that's all you need to do. But then that's going into a works-based faith. Or goes into Santa Claus-based faith. Or as we talk about Santa. shortly here in the book. Yeah. <laughs> so the next thing I have highlighted actually talks about that. Mm. So he this, this is what it wrote, what he wrote. For the substance of Christianity is faith in the forgiveness of sins through the redeeming work of Christ on the cross, right? Mm -hmm. But on the basis of the Santa Claus theology, sin creates no problem and atonement becomes needless. God's active favor extends no less to those who disregard his commands than to those who keep them. Does that make sense? Maybe. <laughs> I be honest if it does or doesn't. I don't know. My, I, I mean, I'm not even keeping up with all of it now. Um, where is that? For me, it's the next page. Yeah, maybe I don't quite follow it. Um, okay, so what he's getting by here with this Santa Claus theology, right? You, you know who Santa Claus is, right? The happy jolly fellow, yeah, the fat Saint man with the, the white beard, and so we'll dye your beard white this Christmas, is what you're saying. Um, I did always. Uh, my beard's already getting there. <laughs> it's already white. It's all the gray. So I mean, not no. It's changed for me. So I always did play Santa Baby for high school for Christmas concerts. So. Wait, what? what? <laughs> I had to parse that again. Oh, 
because you said I always played Santa Baby, and I was like, wait, what? <laughs> and then it, my brain had to go, oh, he Ooh. meant the song for band or something like that, not the yes. character that he dressed up as. No, 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 no. That's no. that's I had to <laughs> I had to reparse that. Anyways, so Santa Claus theology. Santa Claus, big happy fellow, jolly right. Saint Nick, blah blah blah. It says sin creates no problem and atonement becomes needless. In other words, what he says is God, and continues on, God's active favor extends no less to those who disregard his commands than those who keep them. In other words, what that he's saying in that phrase there is that under Santa Claus theology, as he calls it, mm-hmm. God's favor, you know, blessings, right. whatever. Goes to anybody. Goes to anybody. Where you're following God's commands or not, where you're saved or not, whether you're sinning or not. But, but I thought Santa has a naughty list. You might have, there might be European Santa stuff. Who knows? Okay. Because <laughs> I was like, you have to be a good boy or girl yeah, to but, get gifts but from even if, Santa. But even if you're on the naughty list, you're not getting smited. You're not getting killed. You're not being uh, sent to damnation in hell. Right. Yeah. You're just not getting your present for the year. Yeah, exactly. So that is a very, very big uh, difference there. But. Yep. And he continues on and he says this. He says, the idea that God's attitude to me, in other words, how God thinks about me, is affected by whether or not I do what he says has no place in the thought of the man on the street. And any attempt to show the need for fear in God's presence for trembling at his word gets written off impossibly old-fashioned Victorian Puritan sub-Christian. In other words, what he's saying is, if you approach someone and say, hey, you should have respect for you know God's word you know, and all this other stuff, and people go, well, that's Victorian. That's old-fashioned thinking, you know. And that, and that, that, that idea of what respect for God's word has obviously changed over the years. So don't, don't get into the idea of well, it must mean you must wear the suit and the tie and the top hat. You know, it's how do you show respect in your current culture that you live in? To the word of God, you know, in some cultures that might mean taking off your shoes. In some cultures that might mean, you know, bowing. In some cultures that mean, might mean standing. You know, for me, you know, specifically, you know, if I'm somewhere and like, like when I run sound booth on Sunday, I wear a hat and shorts and that. Okay, mm-hmm. but when it's time for prayer and that, I take my hat off, show a little bit Never of reverence. Yeah, I've always, I've, you know, not everyone does. And that's, oh, right, and that's yeah. fine. I'm not sitting there going, oh, Aaron's not taking his head off. How could you? How did, and it's just for So disrespectful. For me, that's a way I can show a little bit of reverence, mm-hmm. a little bit of respect. Well, I, yeah, I, I, I know I've been, I, I mean, I've been told that, yeah, taking your head off is a sign of respect or something. I was like, well, how is that it's being just, respectful? It's just the way our culture is. Well, I don't think that is it's well, it's definitely not as much anymore as it used to be. Yeah. That's definitely gone away a decent amount. Call me old fashioned and stuck <clears throat> in my old ways. Yeah. Well not even okay, and this is now this is Go ahead and call me. You're old. younger than this other guy. Oh. But like when I was um at a at a Bible study thing, I was praying with a dude afterwards. Um, I go to take off my cap. Because I was just, I don't yeah. know, whatever. And then the guy's like, he's like, you don't got to do that. And it's like, it, it, that doesn't matter. I was like, oh, 
all right, cool. Yeah, <laughs> I'm I know. keeping it up. <laughs> you know, so that came from an older man than you. So <laughs> you know, it's going to change the culture on that. So that's what I said. Right. You know, whatever he means by that. Yeah, but mm-hmm. yeah, Santa Claus theology. Everyone is happy and gets gifts and is joyful, joyful, joyful. We. What if your gift is coal? It's still a gift. I love this though. It is no accident that when belief in the good God of liberal liberalism, liberalism becomes widespread about the turn of the 20th century, the so-called problem of evil, which was not regarded as a problem before suddenly leaped into prominence as the number one concern of Christian apologetics. Do you know what the problem of evil is? Do I know what the problem of evil mm-hmm. is? You know what that reference is? No. No. The problem of evil? Yeah. The problem of evil is the question of how to reconcile the existence of evil and suffering in a world with an omnipotent, omnibenevolent, omniscient God. Uh, in other words, they're saying the question is, and the, you know, this is more that philosophical thing, right? Is we know God is, you know, suppose this is how they say it, okay? Okay. They go, well, God is omnis, omniscient, mm-hmm. omnipotent, omnibenevolent. God is perfect. God is good. Mm-hmm. How therefore can there be evil in the world? Ooh. They the question isn't so much based in Christian history, you know, where we go, well, mankind introduced evil into well, the world through our choices it, through the fall of man and sin. Right? Well, I mean, that would all start with Lucifer. For, yes, but ultimately man was the one that for, well, screwed it up for us. Yeah. Yes. Okay. It also screwed it up for, you know, animals and plants because until that point, right? They're all under the curse, just as I mean, yeah. Of, the, the animals are dying to become our skins and all that. The plants were giving up fruit and that food easily, but now God said, "No, but you got to gonna have to work for it." So, you know, Adam and Eve kind of screwed up <laughs> big time. <laughs> yeah, what the heck, guys? So the question is, and it, this is a question that's posed in philosophy classes all the time: is it's it's called the problem of evil. How can evil exist with a good God? Hmm. I guess that is an interesting thing because it's like, wh- how did maybe, maybe I just, if it's in there, I don't remember and I don't know it, but it's like, how did Lucifer end up being able to have, yeah, I guess a sinful or wanting the power of, God for himself sort of thing. Pride, like how pride, did he, pride. How, but how did he, how did he get that? And it does talk about in the Old Testament that, but it's a not a long, exhaustive story. No. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah it just, that was interesting because, I, I mean, it's easy to understand, I guess, maybe I shouldn't say easy, but like, I understand how evil came to be in the world here because Adam and Eve were convinced by the devil to do what God had commanded them not to do. Mm -hmm. 
So with that, I understand how now evil is in the world. That's, I guess, seems simple to me. It seems simple, but there's a lot of implications there. I mean, yeah, I suppose. I don't know. Because the hardest part for me is understanding how did Satan end up having that desire or that having that, yeah, well, yeah, the pride sort of thing to cause him to be cast out. Like, how did that happen? You know, there's a lot of things that we're going to have to wait on to ask God about, and that might yeah. be one of them. I know it talks about it, yes, in the New Testament, but maybe a theologian can explain that better about that. Right. I personally don't know that one, other than pride and the thing that it talks about in the New Testament. But Right. And because then obviously, yeah, I mean, Satan did take many with him. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's just like, man, how... So that's yeah, because then the way to wait, did God create the angels or were they just there with him? God created the angels. Yeah. Okay. I thought so. Well, because he was just the only one to be well, the Trinity was there from the beginning. Right. And then yeah, okay. Right, right, right. Right now. And contrary to popular belief and popular culture, mm-hmm. when you die, you don't become an angel. No. You don't. That's so, oh, okay. You, you don't get a harp and you don't get assigned a cloud and you don't <laughs> get little, to, little wings. And... Nope. You don't become a cherub. <laughs> the number of angels were made at the start. They are created beings. But we're more special than they are. Ugh, that and thinking of eternity. Whenever I think about that, that just hurts my brain. I don't like it. <laughs> no, don't worry about it too much. You'll have all of eternity to find <laughs> that. Stop. Take it off. <laughs> ah, damn, so man, he continues on. Stuff. Yeah. This was inevitable, talking about um, the problem of evil being considered by Christian apologetics. Okay. For it is not possible to see the goodwill of a heavenly Santa Claus in heartbreaking and destructive things like cruelty or marital infidelity or death on the road or lung cancer. The only way to save the liberal view of God is is to disassociate him from these things and to deny that he has any direct relation to them or control over them. In other words, to deny his omnipotence and lordship over his world. Mm. Thus, he, the man on the street, is left with a kind God who means well but cannot always insulate his children from trouble and grief. When trouble comes, therefore, there is nothing to do but grin and bear it. In this way, by an ironic paradox, faith in a God who is all goodness and no severity tends to conf- confirm men in a fatalistic and pessimistic attitude to life. Here, then, is one of the religious bypath meadows of our day. Bypath meadows is from, again, the wonderfulness that is considered Pilgrim's Progress. Right? Bypath Meadows represents our own efforts at attaining righteousness. It is lush with pride and filled with the fruits of self-determination and good intention. It is our attempt to define how we will live and walk before God in this life, especially when we grow discontent with the path God has us on. The sight, the style represents how easy it is to cross from, from over from resting our confidence in Christ to thinking too highly of ourselves. 
Um, that was a note I had on there about Bypath Meadows. It's not in the book if you're looking for it. Oh, okay. I was like, what? Yeah. <sighs> so he, he goes and he goes, that's the religious Bypath Meadows of our day, leading into land of Doubting Castle and, and Giant Despair. Now, Doubting, Doubting Castle, right? I uh, have these notes on it here. The ongoing misery of Doubting Castle reveals the weight of depression that can linger and lie upon true believers. Doubts can be persistent. Discouragements can increase. Misgivings can reemerge and reinforce like arm bars holding us down. Even more mature believers are not immune. Christian Christians more seasoned in his pilgrimage than hopeful. Yet Christian's suffering was more severe. It was hopeful who served his older brother by speaking words of encouragement. These are characters from the book Pilgrim's Progress. Literally, they're named Christian, hopeful, stuff like that. Okay. The, the, the book is, is like, the book is not like the song Martyr in that it is very imagery driven. Okay. <laughs> Martyr is very direct. This is very imagery driven. Okay. Giant Despair is a character in there. Giant and Despair. Mm-hmm. And his wife, Diffidence. Devise their plans in the dark at night where there's no light. Diffidence, lack of trust or unbelief. That's what it means, if you're wondering. Will always send us despair to bludgeon and abuse us. Diffidence plots and directs. Despair carries out her cruel designs. He does her bidding. Diffidence tells her husband, take them into the castle yard tomorrow and show them the bones and skulls of those you have already dispatched. And make them believe ere a week comes to an end, you also will tear them in pieces as you have done to their fellows before them. Those are just a couple of characters from uh, the book, Pilgrim's Progress. That sounds intense. Almost. We can do that for our next book. I'm just kidding. Your choice. <laughs> it's all imagery, metaphor, and similes. So mm-hmm. it'll be like taking AP English again. Ooh. Or did you take AP English or just normal English? I probably just did normal. I don't. Did you do the did test you... afterwards? What test? You do AP English test for college credit? Oh, I definitely didn't. I definitely did not do AP English. Okay. <laughs> I always hated English. <laughs> so did I. I was horrible at it. Mm-hmm. I definitely did not do AP. Now I want to learn it. <laughs> Ish. Eh, just learn Abu Dhabi. Uh, who, what? Makeup language. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll make up, yeah, I'll make up my own language. I'm already working on it. Yeah, you already got one. <laughs> um, so the next segment here is called God's Goodness. And hmm. he finds it right, right away at the top there. He says, goodness, as in, in God, as in human beings, means something admirable, attractive, and praiseworthy. Hmm. And I have a couple things highlighted in this part of the chapter, but mm-hmm. I wanted to see if you had anything first before I talk, because I just talked for a long time here. <laughs> well, you can keep going. No, <laughs> no I do have, I mean, it's, oh, I only have one thing until God's severity. Okay, let's hear it. Um, I just have this spot on the line where it says, but the mercies of God on the natural level, however abundant, are overshadowed by the greater mercies of the 
spiritual redemption. Okay. Wow. Now I'm thinking I probably had, I did not read that right. (laughs) (laughs) Or I was just totally thinking of something completely different and I wasn't, I'm not, oh, wow. Aaron, what is wrong with you? All right. So let's talk about this here. (laughs) What are we talking about? So God's goodness, a big central part of this chat, Mm -hmm. of this part of the chapter, he is around some Psalms. Mm-hmm. Uh, he likes the Psalms to do this, and that's fine. I'm I have no qualms about Psalms. <laughs> nice rhyme. <laughs> uh, specifically, he's talking about Psalm 18, and he says Psalm 18 as a whole is David's retrospective mm. declaration of how he had himself proved that God is faithful to His promises and all sufficient as shield and defender. And then he goes, "Well, you should also." He, he, Packer goes, you should read through this psalm, asking yourself at each point how far your testimony matches up to that of David. Gosh, I don't know why I didn't even read Psalm 18 after that. (laughs) So the things that he then goes on to talk about, he goes, uh, generosity. He goes, generosity is, so to speak, the focal point of God's moral perfection. It is the quality which determines how all God's other excellences are to be displayed. Which was, I was like, hmm, interesting. And then he talks about the psalmist's point is that, and he's talking about Psalm 145 at this point. He's talking, says the psalmist's point is that since God controls all that happens in his world, every meal, every pleasure, every possession, every bit of sun, every night's sleep, every moment of health and safety, everything else that sustains Mm -hmm. and enriches life is a divine gift. In our word, everything that that you have is a divine gift is what, kind of he's saying and again remember we're talking about god's goodness so he's trying to make the case that everything is good and god is giving you all these good things um there are in this chapter this part of the chapter alone there are a lot of bible references you're talking mm-hmm. second chronicles jeremiah psalms um we got a lot of psalms actually a lot of mm-hmm. psalms <laughs> might as well just put Same. the entire book of psalms in here we got acts, acts exodus yeah so there's there's a lot in here that he goes back and references. I'm like, yeah. okay, Second Samuel, and he says this. Uh, we're getting to the end of God's goodness, right mm-hmm. before God's severity. He says this: the first example is of God redeeming the helpless from their enemies and leading them out of barrenness to find a home. Uh, when he's saying the first example, he's talking about in these examples of all these biblical passages he just gave. Okay. Um, the second is of God delivering from darkness and the shadow of death those whom he had himself bought into this condition because of their rebellion against him. The third is of God healing the diseases from which he has chastised fools who disregard him. The fourth is of God protecting voyagers by stilling the storm which they thought would sink the ship. Each episode ends with the refrain, let them give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds for men. The whole mm-hmm. psalm is a majestic panorama of the operations of divine goodness transforming human lives. Mm. Okay. And of course, what does that lead right into? God's severity. Oh, yes. And what do you have highlighted here? What, what stuck the out to you from this part? First the- line. Well, not the first line, but where it says, uh, so well, I'm just going to read it all anyways. Uh, what now of God's severity? 
The word Paul uses in Romans 11.22 means literally cut off. It denotes God's uh, decisive withdrawal of his goodness from those who have spurned it. Does it say cut off or cutting off? Cutting off. I'm sorry. Cutting okay. off. As I say, is that I didn't a, say cut off. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, cutting says, off. That's, that's like, is that a difference between our editions of the yes. book? Yes. Yes. Actually, now I want to go to, what is it? Yeah. Romans 11. 11. Okay. So you beat me to it. I was going to pull that up, but you got it. And what now version? I'm reading the ESV versions, the okay. subpar version of the KJV. King James. I prefer ESV myself. (laughs) Um, Note then the kindness and the severity of God. Severity toward those who have fallen, fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. Hmm, I wonder what it would be in his favorite uh, King James version um eleven twenty two in the king james behold therefore the goodness and severity of god on them which fell severity but toward thee goodness if thou continue in his goodness otherwise thou also shalt be cut off man man okay so let me ask you this so weird to let me ask you this Uh what is this passage referencing what is it referencing Mm mm-hmm why are you skipping? And here's why I say this. I think giving the whole context gives it a lot more, more. power behind it. So if you go back to 1111, hey. that's where this whole chunk starts. Okay. Just let me go back into. So I'm going to read here, yeah. starting in verse 11 mm-hmm. from the ESV. So I ask, did they stumble in order that they might fall? By no means. Rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? Now I'm speaking to you Gentiles, insomuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous, and thus save some of them. For it is their rejection... For if their rejection means the reconciliation of the world, what will their acceptance mean but life from the dead? If the dough offered as first fruits is holy, so is the whole lump. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. But if some of the branches were broken off, and you, although a wild olive shoot, were grafted in among others and now share in the nourishing root of the olive tree, do not be arrogant toward the branches. If you are, remember, it is not you who support the root, but the root that supports you. Then you will say, branches were broken off so that I may be grafted in. This is true. They were broken off because of their unbelief, but you stand fast through faith. So do not become proud, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, neither will he spare you. Note then the kindness and severity of God, severity toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you, provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off, and even they, if they do not continue in their unbelief, will be grafted in, for God has the power to graft them in again. For if you were cut off from what is by nature a wild olive tree and grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, how much more will these, the natural branches, be grafted 
back into their own hollow tree. Okay, so there's a lot of imagery going on there. Yeah. Um, that I, what this is talking about is you have your Gentiles and your Jews. Okay. Mm-hmm. And essentially, high level overview. You know, there's more to it. So don't be like, oh, this is all that this means. You know, when he says, you know, that those who were the branches that were taken off, the Jews that were um, essentially removed from the the tree, the branch, the root, Christ. They're removed. In other words, they're not going to have salvation because they believe in, you know, whatever you want to believe as a Jew. And he's saying, but you have been grafted in. You know what grafting in for trees does, right? So what you can do with plants, trees, olive branch, olive trees, and all this, right? Let's say I have two olive trees. Okay, this one over here is growing good, and this one over here is growing a little bit, but you know, not, not as good. So well. I can take a branch from that not good one and graft it. Literally, I can like make cuts and insert the, that that branch into the good tree and it can grow then. And it can flourish because that root is providing nourishment to it. It's providing nutrition to it. It's feeding it. That's wild. You can do that with like trees. So like you can have like apples growing on like Hot. a pear and all that on a pear tree. There's a whole thing behind it, but you can, it's called grafting where you take a plant and you basically separate insert, it from, separate from its plant and put it in with another plant one. and it's grown and supported. And that's the imagery that's, that's given here. It's saying you Gentiles, you were a wild olive tree and we brought you, right. we took your branches and brought you into a domesticated mm-hmm. olive tree And that domesticated olive tree in the imagery here is Christ. Mm-hmm. That's wild. And that's why he says, do that. and that's why he says, you know, Hey, you, this happened to you. What, imagine if the Jews, the who are part of this natural tree, olive tree, if they want to come to faith, how much more they'll be grafted back in because they'll be grafted back into their own tree type. Right. So that's why it says the severity wow. and grace here, because the severity of removing those branches, which are not fruitful, but goodness of bringing in you in to yeah. a plant that can support you i do have no, this is very yeah. pointless um for verse 13 is says now i am speaking to you gentiles for the word after that is it in as much oh it is in as much is it all connected yeah that's, I've never seen that before. I was like, is there a typo in the app? I was like, what the heck? I've never seen in as much like that. Yeah, in as much. Wow, that's weird. Okay. I was just like, I, maybe I've never, yeah, I've never read that or seen that before. In as much, the definition, to the extent that, insofar as, that's what it means. Huh. It's in Merriam-Webster, exactly like that, and as much. Wow. That's cool. Oh, another word. Yeah. So th- this whole God's severity right here, that first yeah. uh, sentence there, mm-hmm. that references that whole big chunk. Yeah, that's massive. Yeah. And so, yeah, 1122 gives you an, a nice idea, but 
the whole chunk gives you a whole big idea of what's going on. And that's why down below where he says, if they Gentiles should lapse as Israel has lapsed, God would cut them off too. Yeah. It makes so much more sense when you have all of that there. Mm. And he goes on and says the principle, which Paul's applying here is that behind every display of divine goodness stands a threat of severity and judgment. If that goodness is scorned, if we do not let it draw us to God in gratitude and response of love, we have only ourselves to blame when God turns against us. Again, refer, referring back to that chunk of, of text there, 11, 11 through 24. Is there anything else that you highlighted in here? I have a couple oh, other things. I just had, is that Exodus 34, 6 through 7, where it says, uh, well, all right. Uh, let me go back just a little bit before. Oh. It reminds us of the fact about God, which he himself declared when he proclaimed his name to Moses, namely that though he is, this is written quotes, abounding in love and faithfulness, unquote, he, God, quote, uh, does not leave the guilty unpunished. That is the obstinate and impenitent guilty. Yep. Uh, and nobody gets, nobody can sneak past him. Um, Is there anything else? And then I had those who decline to respond to God's goodness by repentance and faith and trust and submission to his will cannot wonder or complain if sooner or later the tokens of his goodness are withdrawn. The opportunity of Benefiting from the uh, from them ends and retribution supervenes. Do you know what supervenes is? Is it just like kind of? Oh, supervenes. Uh, I mean, I guess in my mind, I think it kind of like takes over, sort of thing. Yeah, occurs later than a specified or implied event or action, typically in such a way as to change the situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything else? Nope. All right, I have one other thing. I had that one highlighted as well. <laughs> uh, I have this. Yeah. Peter explains to his first century readers that the reason why the promised return of Christ to judgment has not happened yet is that God is long-suffering to, uh, to us is long-suffering to us word. Yeah, that, that's a weird phrasing. That is. Um, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's 2 Peter 3, 9, KJV, obviously. KJV, us word. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, all right, yep. Mm. I was like, there's a lot of people who won't buy that. But yeah, I get what he's saying there, and I agree. And then finally he says, what should our response be to this goodness and severity? Mm. He says, appreciate the goodness of God. All right. Yep. Uh, well, as this old song goes, count your blessings one by one. Blah, blah, blah. I don't know that song. Yeah, I don't know either. When he started singing, I was like, I, yeah, I, I can't finish it because I don't know it. Um, appreciate the patience of God. Yes. Appreciate the discipline of God. 
Those are his three points. And the only thing I have highlighted in here is this. If you are a true believer and he mm -hmm. still puts thorns in your bed, it is only to keep you from falling into the Solomons of complacency and to ensure that you continue in his goodness by letting your sense of need bring you back constantly in self-abasement and faith to seek his face. Mm -hmm. And my question to you, what's Solomons? What? Where? What? Oh, oh, oh. Solomons? I can't even say that word. Somnolence. Somnolence. Wait. Oh, it's some some somnolence. Yeah. Somnolence. Yep. Honestly, I do I don't know what that is. Causing or suggestive of drowsiness, sleepy, drowsy. Oh. Yep. Okay. So keep you from falling into the sleepiness of complacency, essentially. Right. Ensure that you continue. In his goodness, by letting you sense your need to bring you back into, uh, bring you back constantly in self-abasement. You know what that is? <sighs> of course not. Wait, self-abasement. No. Humiliating oneself when one feels lower or less deserving of respect. Wait, wait, what? Self-abasement yeah. is humil humiliating oneself. When one feels lower or less deserving of respect. Hmm. In other words, don't be proud and haughty. Right. Okay. Sorry, I did have that underlined too, though. <laughs> you did, and you didn't even know what it meant. Well, I looked past that word. <laughs> you know, I should be surprised, but I'm not. No. Well. That ends chapters. No, no, no. I those mean, chapters. basically does. Guess I, what that means? What? We have three more months of this book. <sighs> <laughs> wow. I guess after this, yeah. we're bringing Ken the Hat comes back. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Man. I, yeah, I mean. Well, maybe we'll read something Christmassy for December. There we, yeah, that's true. We could do for that. For Aaron. Just great, good Santa, Santa. All right. Look. Any final comments on these two chapters, sir? Um, man, I'm just gonna. I'd, uh, I had two other things underlined. Oh, go for it. Um, and it is the section just so for the appreciating the discipline. It says, but not, but if now he, uh, and this is in parentheses in. Is it Whitefields or Whitfields? I don't know. Phrase puts thorns in your bed. It is only to awaken you from the sleep of spiritual death and to make you rise up and seek his mercy. Mm -hmm. And then I had for to appreciate the patience of God, who's learned to marvel at his patience and seek grace to imitate it in your dealings with others and try not to and try not to try his patience anymore mm -hmm. that's a good summarization of that chapter yeah all right that man yep patience <laughs> <laughs> all right <laughs> well, thank you for joining us on these two chapters